Hey, Cracked fans. With the summer months just around the corner, we know all of you are beginning to think about how you can best maximize your chances to improve your game with the warm weather. Well, thankfully, we here at Cracked Rackets are so excited to tell all of you about the 254 Tennis Camp happening this summer at Baylor University. Now, over the course of three weeks in June, starting June 12th through the 16th and ending June 26th through the 30th, you'll have the opportunity to learn from from some of the best coaches in the business in an all-encompassing tennis experience. You'll have the opportunity to improve each and every part of your game, whether that be on the singles court, whether that be on the doubles court, through drilling, through point play, match play as well. You'll also, of course, receive a free t-shirt for participating in the camp, but also have the chance to see yourself broadcasted as our Crack Rackets team will be providing coverage of the final day each week at this 254 tennis camp. Again, you'll have the opportunity to learn from some of the best coaches in the business. I promise Coach Michael Woodson and the Baylor team going to make it an extraordinarily enjoyable time. How can you get signed up today? Well, you can learn more information by visiting the Baylor website by going to baylor.edu slash athletics slash tennis camp. Again, that's baylor.edu slash athletics slash tennis camp to sign up today. Now, this camp open to any and all entrants, but limited only by age, number, grade level, and or gender. Again, you can learn more about this camp by going to baylor.edu slash athletics slash tennis camp today. Don't miss out, folks. Going to be three very exciting, fun weeks of tennis down at Baylor University. Be sure to sign up for the 254 Tennis Camp happening at Baylor today. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, June 20th. Happy belated Father's Day to all of the dads that listen to our Cracked Rackets podcast. I may not have actual kids, but I host three podcasts that I consider my children. And let me just say, it is quite difficult to show each of those podcasts equal amount of attention, equal amount of love each and every day to all of not just the fathers, but the parents that are able Able to do that with actual children. I remain in awe of all that you do. I cannot emphasize enough how grateful I am to the support I get from my parents each and every day. It's the reason I'm able to do these podcasts, the reason I'm able to have the confidence to record these episodes day in, day out. So again, from all of us here at Crack Rackets, Dalton Thieneman, Daniel Westoff, myself, happy Father's Day to all of the fathers listening to this show. Of course, with Father's Day came another exciting championship weekend on the ATP and WTA tours. And I do apologize for the fact we didn't have a mini break episode on Friday. As I alluded to last week, I am back home in Michigan. Father's Day, not only a day of celebration for fathers everywhere, also happened to be my father's 60th birthday yesterday. As such, myself, my older, younger brothers all came into Michigan to celebrate accordingly. Again, I do apologize for the lack of subsequent episode on Friday, but I will say 
I think we did a pretty good job capturing the themes of the week on last week's episodes of the Mini Break Podcast. It felt as though throughout the course of Championship Weekend, it was the players we had highlighted throughout the course of last week. The Beatrice Haddad Mayas, the Matteo Berrettinis, who each captured a second consecutive grass court title here in 2022 over the weekend. They continue to thrive as each of them again end up in the winner's circle. I want to talk about what each of them continue to do well, why it's impossible to deny their status heading into the year's third Grand Slam. And of course, I'll throw in a couple of statistics as well throw in my observations from watching their matches over the course of the weekend. There were a couple of other standout performers, though, I want to mention on today's show. And I really think, again, two weeks into the grass court season, it's time to call it like you see it. And simply put, if you saw Onjabur compete this weekend, if you saw last year's Wimbledon semifinalist Hubi Hercots compete this weekend, you saw two players who looked primed to make deep runs at the 2022 Wimbledon. I'll make the case for each of those players today, talk about what allowed each of them to end up in the winner circles in their respective events this weekend as well. Of course, got to talk about some other under-the-radar players as we begin our preparation for the 2022 Wimbledon. Players such as an Ali Van Utvink, 12-1 is she this year in grass court matches. Want to talk about the success she has had, talk about uh, why I think she can absolutely make a second-week push at Wimbledon. And then, of course, not just the champions, but who are the finalists, the semi-finalists this week that we should take notice of. I won't do another rant on Nick Kyrgios. I thought he looked excellent this weekend. The Belinda Benchishes of the world, etc. Plenty of performances to take note of. That's what I want to do here on today's show as on Monday. As always, we set the scene uh, from what was championship weekend before we turn the page tomorrow and focus on the final week of grass court warm-up events, of course, with Wimbledon beginning next week. It's also time for us to begin our preview of the year's third Grand Slam. All of those podcasts are going to be found on the Great Shot podcast feed, and we'll do what we always do in the week leading up to a Grand Slam. We'll break down our men's and women's contenders, break down our dark horses, look at the Americans, look at the draws, not just to ensure all of you fans remain the most well-educated, best-informed fans in the business, but perhaps put you in a position to where you can profit off the action happening at Wimbledon, whether it be with DraftKings or your sports book of choice. Again, a plethora of Wimbledon preview content coming this weekend on the Great Shot podcast feed. You can find that wherever you listen to your podcast episodes or or on our website, CrackRackets.com. But with all of that said, before we get into recapping another championship weekend on the ATP and WTA Tour, I just want to remind all of you that these podcasts are made possible here on the Mini Break Feed day in, day out because of the support we get from all of you. And I promise to all of you listeners, despite the fact we've got a bunch of things coming up here at Crack Rackets, my obligation and promise to all of you, daily Wimbledon podcast episodes. We'll recap each day's action, try to set the scene for the next day as well. Hopefully, we will also be able to bring back our Cracked Rackets Patreon Match of the Day segment, where I look at my favorite match on any given day of the tournament, offer an extensive preview of that match specifically. Again, we are ready to amp up our Grand Slam content over the course of the next two weeks. You'll be able to find all of that content on our website, CrackedRackets.com, and of course, across our various podcast platforms. If you're interested in that Cracked 
Cracked Rackets Match of the Day segment. You can join our Patreon team, start supporting our Cracked Rackets efforts today. You can learn more about that by going to our website, CrackedRackets.com. Again, we plan to keep you all locked and loaded throughout the fortnight at the championships at Wimbledon. Of course, the other reason we are able to do this day in, day out here on the Mini Break Podcast feed is because of the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point, and you all know the deal. It's now summer time tennis. Simply put, you just need different gear than you did in the fall, than you did in the winter. And if you're looking to update your rackets, update your strings, update your shoes, your clothing, there's one location to turn to that has you covered from every angle. That, of course, is our friends at Tennis Point. And you go to their website, tennis-point.com today. You'll find all the best equipment at the best prices. You use our promo code CR15 at checkout. Not only we let them know we sent you there, you'll get 15% off all sale items, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls, tennis-point.com. Symbol, not the spelling, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all that said, again, my goal here on Monday, want to call it like I see it, talk about the players who have thrived through the first two weeks of the grass court season, going to be on the shorter side of the mini break podcast you've seen of late. I think we're going to keep this one under 40 minutes. Simply put, I don't want to repeat myself too frequently as the players we expressed interest in, the players we thought were playing their best tennis throughout the course of last week, those those were the players that ended up in the winner's circle. And I think the place we have to start is with Matteo Berrettini. Simply put, the 26-year-old has been exceptional throughout the course of this grass court season. And that's not something we were guaranteed to see particularly considering Matteo Berrettini missed the entirety of April, entirety of May, entirety of the clay court season out with injury. And for Berrettini, who certainly has been a top 10 player really since breaking into the top 10 back in 2019, his reliance on his physicality, the need to dictate, play on his terms, hit the plus one, you know, hit the plus one following the serve, finding plus one forehands, finding and, and establishing the rhythm to hit forehands from the ad side of the court, the footwork, the diligence it takes to continue to find those forehands, run around that backhand wing, the level of physicality needed to execute that game style at the highest level. Typically, you can't take a two, three-month layoff, and I should say three-month because, yeah, he started playing at Indian Wells at the start of March, but after losing in the round of 16, was out for the rest of March. So after a three-month layoff, for Berrettini, excuse me, to find the rhythm that he's found in these first nine matches of the grass court season. Again, Berrettini last week winning the title in Stuttgart. Now, certainly was the beneficiary of some men's draw funkiness that happened in Queens Club over the course of the past week. Of course, you look for Berrettini, who, you know, was able to benefit from the fact that top seed Kasparud knocked off in his first match of the tournament by Ryan Penniston. The fact that other seeds, like number three seed Cam Nori, knocked off in his first round match by Grigor Dimitrov, who was subsequently knocked off in his round of 16 match by Botek Vandesen Schkulp. We saw the three seed knocked out in his first match. Four seed Taylor Fritz knocked out in his first match by wildcard 20-year-old Jack Draper. We saw Diego Schwartzman, five seed, lose his first match. Six seeded Denis Shapovalov. 
losing his first match as well. Of course, Riley Opelka losing his first round to Alex Diemenauer. You had, you know, number 17, Marin Cilic surviving with a three-set victory, but Cilic ultimately knocked out in the semifinals as well. As such, Matteo Berrettini did not have to face a seed on the way to his Queens Club title, but you look for Matteo Berrettini, again, nine consecutive victories for the Italian now to begin this grass court season. And through those nine matches, he's only been broken eight times. Typically, if you're broken once or fewer, throughout the course of a uh, you know your match let alone a nine match stretch you probably did win a title you probably did win somewhere like nine consecutive matches as Matteo Berrettini has perhaps most impressively Berrettini dropped just one set on his way to the Queen's Club title and again you can say to yourself well it wasn't the strongest field right that his best win came over a Dennis Kudla in round two doesn't that speak to all the upsets we saw at Queen's Club over the course of the week well, the answer to that question, of course, is yes. But for Matteo Berrettini, who was, came to the start of this grass court season looking to reestablish his rhythm, reestablish his plus one dominance through these first two weeks as you approach the year's third Grand Slam, where, of course, Berrettini is the defending Wimbledon finalist. I think Berrettini got exactly what he was looking for, and we've talked about this number throughout the course of last week, but you look for Matteo Berrettini since the start of the 2019 season, the 26-year-old, just a ridiculous 32-3 and now in grass court matches. Of course, I mentioned the three losses, Djokovic in last year's Wimbledon final, four sets, straight set loss to Federer, round of 16 Wimbledon 2019. That was before Matteo Berrettini was Matteo Berrettini in this point of his career. Also a loss in Hala to David Goffin, where he was trying to win back-to-back titles in 2019. Now, he was unable to do so in 2019. He was able to get over that back-to-back title hump, speaking to the growth we've seen from Berrettini, also speaking again to perhaps the draw luck he got at Queen's Club. But you look for Berrettini now. Again, since 2019, he's won two titles in Stuttgart. He won a title at two titles in Queen's Club as he defended his title from last season. He's made a Wimbledon final. He's made a Wimbledon round of 16 in the two Wimbledons that have been held. What more can we ask for from Matteo Berrettini? You look, according to Tennis Abstract's grass court-specific ELO rating, it's not going to surprise anyone to learn. Matteo Berrettini's second amongst all players in grass court-specific ELO rating, and the gap between he and third place Alex Zverev is the same between the gap between Zverev and 12th place currently Karen Hachanov. Again, the gap between Berrettini in second and Zverev in third is the same as the gap in terms of ELO rating points as it is between Zverev in third and Hachanov in 12th. I don't know what more there is to say. Berrettini is closer to Djokovic and further away from the rest of the field than anyone else. All the metrics say it. The eye test says it. Berrettini holding 92.8% of the time since 2019 on grass courts. Again, three consecutive grass court seasons. He's holding over 93% of the time. The break percentage at 20.3% is actually, you look for Matteo Berrettini, I believe, above his career average of 17.8. So somehow he's a better returner on grass courts than he is on other surfaces. And that makes sense because, again, from an eye test perspective, his backhand slice 
it's that much more effective on this surface. Simply put, the ball dies when it bounces on the court, and his ability to disrupt the rhythm of a Philip Krajinovic, the rhythm of a Tommy Paul, even, you know, again, expose the athleticism and the, the quickness of someone like a Paul, like a Botic van de Senschkulp in those quarter semifinal matches. Berrettini plays this nasty combo where he goes backhand slice down the line, backhand short angle cross court slice. It's just miserable to have to track those two balls down. And by the time you get to that backhand cross court slice, now you've popped the ball up. Bertini's sitting on a forehand. And simply put, for lack of a better term, you're f***ed because the heaviness of that Bertini forehand, again, exceptional. And yeah, Matteo Bertini playing his best tennis all, you know, suddenly just able to find that rhythm so quickly. He'll have a week off now to rest up, recuperate, uh, plenty of calluses built back up before heading into Wimbledon. And yes, Matteo Berrettini loses those finals points, but for Matteo Berrettini, can you ask for a better start to your grass court season for Berrettini to get those two titles under his belt, does about as well as he can to defend those finals points that will come off his resume from last season. Berrettini back up to number 11 in the live rankings, back up to number 12 in the race to the year-end finals. And given the fact, again, he missed an entire third of the season, didn't play any of the clay court masters events, didn't play Roland Garros either. He's still in the mix to make the year-end finals. A testament to the fact that, yes, you know precisely what you're going to get from Matteo Berrettini, but that gear, the plus-one tennis he's able to play, simply put, it's exceptional. And it's very difficult unless you have the elite return capabilities of a Novak Djokovic, of an Alex Vera, of a Daniil Medvedev, to be able to just absorb that first uh, strike, serve, plus-one forehand, which, again, it's even if you are able to absorb that, he still may beat you. If you can't absorb that, you're automatically, you know, down, down on the down in the count against him, and the top gear he can hit, the consistency with which he can hit it again. Matteo Berrettini is a special talent on the grass courts, and you know it's no longer unreasonable to say is he a future Wimbledon champion? One imagines eventually Novak Djokovic not is going to be unable to sustain the incredible level he sustained at Wimbledon throughout the course of his career, and of course Djokovic so predicated on movement is his success. You just think maybe. I don't know, three years from now when Matteo Berrettini's 29 years old. So I keep pointing to that 2025 Wimbledon. That's where I say Riley Opelka's going to win. That's where I now think, you know, Matteo Berrettini's going to win it as well. I mean, it's not a hot take to say I'm in the Berrettini over Opelka camp at this point, but that's the one I'm going to circle. I think 2025 Wimbledon's going to be the one for Matteo Berrettini. And I don't think it's unreasonable now to ask, does he have Grand Slam title winning potential at Wimbledon? Now, some of you may have been asking that last season after he made the final, but with this run, and again, the lack of emergence, Daniil Medvedev's been good on the grass courts. I don't think he's flashed the elite gear that we've seen from Berrettini. I think Berrettini right now, outside of Djokovic, and you want to throw Nadal in that category as well, that's fine. They're the two unmentionables, you know, compared to the rest of the ATP tour. Berrettini's the guy on grass courts. And last week, you know, these past two weeks, whether it be Stuttgart, whether it be Queens Club, confirming that fact. Again, Berrettini, nine consecutive victories, been broken just eight times in those nine matches. Precisely the preparation one would look for heading into the year's third Grand Slam. But man, credit to Filip Krajinovic for the 30-year-old who, simply put, had not had a lot of grass court success in his career heading into Queens Club. Of course, four victories for him at Queens 
club. Uh, he had just seven victories in his career on grass court. Coming into the event was what seven and uh, seven and twelve overall on the grass courts. Hadn't won a grass court match since Nottingham qualifying back in 2015. Had lost six consecutive grass court matches. Folks lost first round Wimbledon 2018, 2019, 2021. Did the draw break what nicely for Kranovich? Certainly, but. Impressive victories over a very much informed Sam Query, who, you know, blitzed Kranovich through that first set. Seemed like he was in cruise control, but Kranovich just bought in this past week, and Kranovich has always moved the ball well around the court. His ability to, you know, absorb pace on the backhand, hit that backhand down the line, use that as a dictating shot. He just seemed locked in this week. He just seemed, I mean, again, I'm, I'm projecting desire onto someone playing the results a bit as well, but there was a focus to Krajinovic. And again, he's always been a well-rounded player. The question is from a mental perspective, how locked in? Does he seem to be week in, week out? Again, after getting through Brooksby in match number one, you know, down a set to Sam Query. Gets over that hump. Loses the first set to Ryan Penniston. Just locks in. Stays solid. Wins the backhand of forehand exchanges between himself and the lefty Penniston. And then did an exceptional job matching pace with Marin Cilic. You know, excellent job finding first serves throughout the course of the week. Landed over 65% of his first serves in the five matches that he played. You look for the 30-year-old back up to number 31 in the live rankings into his first ATP final. Let's see, for Philip Krajinovic. His first ATP final, I believe, and I don't want to be incorrect here, uh, since, uh, yeah, Hamburg 2021 on the clay court. So, credit to Mateo Bert- uh, excuse me, credit to Philip Krajinovic making the most of the chaos that unfolded in the draw and getting himself to his first ATP final in about a year. That is what keeps you in the top 50, folks. And again, 30 years old, you get into any event you want to play, you set your own schedule. That's all you can ask for as an aspiring, as any, from any aspiring ATP Tour player. So credit to Krajinovic, who really was that solid throughout the course of the action in Queens Club. But again, looking at the rest of the Queens Club results, who were the most relevant, you know, again, moving forward, do I think Botik van der with how well he moves on the grass courts in and out of corners, how well he breaks the rhythm of opponents, how comfortable he is changing direction. I do like what I've seen from Botik. Now, we don't have a lot of Wimbledon track record success for uh, the 26-year-old. I love when I think Botik van der because obligatory reminder and take a shot, as you knew. I was going to bring this up whenever his name comes up. He's just two days older than me, so when I have to think about how old is BVDZ, I ask, how old are you right now, Alex Gruskin? And so BVDZ, again, 26 years old, doesn't have the highest track record of grass court success, but for Botik making the semifinals here, uh, you look for Van de who obviously has the massive U.S. Open points to defend at the end of the year, but Botik now 58-27 and 27 in his last 52, 22-15 and 15 here this season, that all of those matches have come at the ATP level, a testament to the jump he's made in his game. You look for Botik into the semifinals, it's his second semifinal of the year, he's now made four quarterfinals at as well, done it on all three surfaces. This guy is just extraordinarily well-rounded. Again, he will be in the mix moving forward. And then 
Look, if you want to make Chilich a top five contender, I might have a qualm with you heading into Wimbledon. If you think he's going to make the second week, I have no argument against that fact. Marin Chilich right now 17th in the live rankings. Chilich also 13th in the points race coming off of a semifinal. Obviously at the French Open has made the finals of Wimbledon before semifinals here uh, this week in London. Of course, last week you look for Marin Chilich. It was another, uh, it was another, or excuse me, didn't play last week. This is the first warm-up for him. I meant, uh, again, the track record on the grass courts. Leave it all in. Super producer Daniel Westhoff, but I think Chilich's body of work speaks for itself. The power tennis, he's able to play that ability to pull the trigger down the line in a moment's notice. And then, again, his length on these grass courts when movement becomes that much more difficult helps when you can extend your arm and pretty much cover half a court. So, that's your championship weekend recap of what happened in Queens Club. Certainly the biggest development, Matteo Berrettini. I spent far too long, though, on that tournament than I anticipated, uh, far longer than I anticipated. With that in mind, again, we know what makes Berrettini successful. I spent so much time discussing what makes uh, Beatrice Haddad Maya special in particular over these past 10 days. And let's just have this discussion quickly and frankly, because certainly there will be people who look at Haddad Maya's track record, look at the suspension she received for testing positive for a banned substance, essentially caught doping was the accusation and I suppose the allegation made against her. And, you know, go read into the terms specifically. I don't want to re-litigate the terms of her appealing that decision and whether that appeal was going to be upheld or not. Certainly part of the suspension was overruled. However, as at large, at writ large, uh, the the suspension held. That said, there will be those fans who will look at the mistake Haddad Maya make, and of course, it's always worth mentioning Beatrice Haddad Maya. Not exactly, you know, old by any stretch of the imagination. Haddad Maya, my age, another player born, uh, I believe, in 1995, and in fact, oh, excuse me, Beatrice Haddad Maya, younger than I am, May 30th, 1996, the 26, you know. What were you doing? So you go back to 2019 when the suspension was handed down. What were you doing at 23 years old? Are you proud of every decision you made as a 23-year-old? You know, I was 23 years old. Again, there are plenty of the plethora. The problem is my parents listen to this podcast, so I'm not going to relitigate some of the decisions I'm less than proud of from those years. Not that far removed from them either. But we all make mistakes, particularly for someone like Beatrice Haddad Maya, where the pressures are extraordinarily high, where, again, you're relying on your physicality, your ability to recover, your endurance to push yourself as an athlete whose athleticism is responsible for making a living and, you know, again, dictating all of your life choices moving forward. And certainly there will be those that lose trust in a Haddad Maya. You flunk a drug test once, what's to say you're not going to do it again? How can I trust that you're ever clean at this point, particularly given all the nuances of the wrong word, all the Lack of credibility given, yeah, I guess the lack of credibility of the anti-doping system right now in tennis. And that's a big picture discussion, I suppose, for a different time. But look, Kadadmai is just locked in right now. The 26-year-old clearly playing the best tennis of her career. And as I like to mention from time to time, I turn to the Tennis Abstract Stats leaderboard. Who are the players right now? Top 10, 15, 20, 25 in both hold and break percentage. Well, right now there are just 11 players who rank top 25 in both hold and break percentage. Haddad Maya is one of them. 
Not a shock at all. Of course, Haddad Maya now with the back-to-back titles up to a new career high, number 28 in the live rankings. Perhaps more impressively, she's 23rd in the race to the year-end finals. She has established herself as a 20, uh, as a top 25 player. And simply put, you can understand why. The floor of the lefty, it's exceptional. I mean, she beats up on everyone she's supposed to beat up on. Haddad Maya over the last 52 weeks, 65 and 18 against players ranked outside the top 50, 29-4 and four against players ranked outside the top 50 this season. She's 33-11 and 11 against players ranked outside the top 20 as well. And when you consider a couple of those non-top 20 losses were to a Layla Fernandez, Amanda Nisimova, and a Belinda Bencic, who have all been top 20 players this season, you take those out of the list again. 33-8 and eight against players... Outside, oh, well, 33 and 11 total, but in Alex's terms, 33 and 8, and those are the only terms that matter, as you folks know. 33 and 8 against players ranked outside the top 20. Now, you want to hold against her that she's just, you know, only played four matches against top 20 opponents here this season. How high is her ceiling? How can we really know that fact if she's only played four top 20 opponents? That's a fair counter if you're trying to argue the limitations and the upside of Beatrice Haddad Maya to this point, but. Also have to mention that she's 3-1 and one against the four top 20 opponents she's faced this season. Knocks off Simona Halep, an incredibly physical match for a grass court affair. Haddad Maya, the more solid, the more physically fit. Haddad Maya was physically fitter than Simona Halep, who is arguably the most physical, you know, the best physical presence. I, I don't know if that, that's horribly phased. The whose physicality has probably shined brightest of any WTA player. There we go. Lock in that phrasing. Leave it all in, though, Super Producer Daniel Westoff. The physicality of Simona Halep, more impressive than the physicality probably of any WTA player of the past 10 years in total. Now, you want to say Sviantek now in a vacuum, you'll take one year of you know, the fitness physicality of a Sviantek or you'll take 2021 Barty over the, you know, as a ceiling point higher than anything we saw from Simona Halep in her prime. We can nibble with that on a different day. I understand what you're trying to say, but again, great rhyme there, um, unintentional. But in terms of physicality for the past decade, I think we all agree Simona Halep is the gold standard. Yes, she's on the back end of that 10-year peak, but Haddad Maya just was willing to make the extra shot, was willing to extend the rally, did not quit on a single ball. Simona Halep threw at her. And look, Halep has never been someone whose pace has overwhelmed her opponents. But Haddad Maya was not only comfortable, but probably better at in, in exchanging the neutral balls, the three-quarter pace balls. And then Haddad Maya, who respectfully is a better volleyer than Simona Halep is, who used her forehand and her leftiness to just create uncomfortable angles and create approach shots, opportunities for her to move forward. Even if in this match, you know, Haddad Maya was broken six different times. You look for Haddad Maya. She also was able to break Simona Halep six times on her own. And, you know, again, for Haddad Maya to race out and take that first set, build herself a little bit of margin, and then just hang in there physically the way she did in set number two. Didn't allow Halep to run away with a six-love set or make anything easy. She made Halep expend that additional energy throughout set number two. I mean, you look for Beatrice Haddad Maya now here. Again, what more is there to say? She's 10-0 and 0 through her first 10 matches here in the grass court season. She's 36-12 and 12 
on the year, folks. 36-12. and 12. She is winning 75% of the matches that she plays this season. Three titles for her. Of course, one of them coming at the 125K level, but now the back-to-back titles in Nottingham and Birmingham. 26 years old is when you should hit your peak. Beatriz Haddad Maya has hit her peak. And again, I understand, given the history, given the fact that she did fail a, a, a or, fail a drug test and, you know, tested positive for a banned substance. Some of you will write her off completely. That's your prerogative. I'm not going to debate morals with you right now. I'm happy to do that on our Crack Rackets Patreon feed, but we can save the morals argument for a different time. Simply put, people make mistakes. Haddad Maya has rebounded from hers in almost unmatched ways in WTA Tour history. You know the number that's about to come up, folks. What is Haddad Maya's record uh, since uh, pandemic play began in August 2020. Well, first of all, she's now won 12 different titles during that stretch. And yeah, the majority of them came at the ITF level, but she's 137 and 38, folks. 137 and 38. She has played 175 matches in about 20 months of tennis. That's just. It's just ridiculous, folks. That's just, again, an extraordinary level of play. And again, that I should really say 16 months of tennis because you take out the Novembers and Decembers of 2020 and 2021. And although she was playing at the ITF level, so I suppose you don't take those out again. The the consecutive months of play from her, about 20 months consecutively from Beatriz Haddad Maya, she has not missed a beat just rock solid. Again, in terms of floor, match in, match out, what is her performance going to look like? She's just not going to beat herself. She's going to find different ways to attack you. She can take away what you do best as well. And then always helps to have a little lefty funk mixed in there as well. So continue to be extraordinarily impressed by Haddad Maya, who obviously was the beneficiary of the retirement as Jung Shui uh, forced to retire. She beats Kirstea 7-6 in the third in the semifinals due to the rain. On Saturday, they had to play double headers on Sunday. But look, Haddad Maya had a three-set match of her own, two hours, 14 minutes on court to beat Simona Halep. And again, that was match number 10 for her in about 12 days of tennis. Haddad Maya continues to bring the goods. And maybe some of you are out there snarkily thinking in the car, sorry to describe your thoughts as snarky, but be honest to think to yourself, well, of course she can play 10 matches in 12 days. She's a doper. Prove it. Prove it. Don't you dare accuse someone of continuing to dope unless you have an overwhelming amount of evidence that they are doing so, unless you have access to their tests. Now, you want to have an argument again. Are people scheming? Do we need to get smarter about the anti-doping system in tennis? Do we need to just acknowledge perhaps that, you know what, Each to each their own. If you're a player, put in your body what you're comfortable doing. It's your body. Like, again, is do we really need to ha- continue to have again the, the entire framework around banned substances, the way we discussed the way we have the conversation needs to be reevaluated. That's a bigger topic for a different time. But until you can prove to me Haddad Maya is continuing to dope, I'm going to continue to just ogle at her consistency, at uh, her ability, match in, match out, what she brings to the table, the fight, the intensity, and again, the well-rounded skill set as comfortable grinding from the baseline is the lefty as she is moving forward. A lot to like about the 26-year-old's game as she has clearly hit the prime of her career. But again, you look at some of the other takeaways from Birmingham. Shout out to the Peaky Blinders. Um, I thought Simone Halep was okay. Like, I, I didn't think she was great 
in her in her first you know grass court action since what I believe Simona Halep hadn't played a grass court match since I want to say the 2019 season and yeah since making and winning the Wimbledon title in 2019 obviously no grass court action in 2020 did not play any grass court matches in 2021 I thought she looked fine again didn't drop a set in her first three matches wins over you know, underdogs in Katie Bolter, Harriet Dart, uh, let's see, Saranko. I thought Dart had was the only one with the sort of weapons to really disrupt the rhythm of Simona Halep. But look, Halep found her way, in, you know, physically was able to just overwhelm and Bolter, Dart, Saranko couldn't consistently hurt her as such. She was able to coast to the finish line, served particularly well against Harriet Dart. Second serve was sitting against Beatrice Haddad Maya, and Haddad Maya made her pay. But again, there are a few players as fit as Haddad Maya right now. And you look for Simona Halep, you know, again, 23-8 and eight overall now in 2022. Certainly the loss to Alizé Cornet in that fourth round of the Australian Open, that's the outlier. But elsewhere, you know, again, Ostapenko in Dubai. Ostapenko won the tournament. Sviantec in Indian Wells. Jabor in Madrid. None of those bad losses. Lost to Jung Chin Wen in three sets. That certainly appreciated as Jung Chin Wen was the only player to take a set off Sviantec at Roland Garros. And, you know, again, other than Doha, Caroline Garcia, I don't really think there's a bad loss on Simona Halep's resume. I am certain that's a topic, though, I will debate with David Kane later this week. Although, again, in terms of some of the Birmingham action, always interesting to see the Brits, whether it's Bolter, whether it's uh, obviously Harriet Dart. I know Katie Swan had a good win on uh, yesterday, excuse me, over Sloane Stevens. The Brits, here they come. All right, British tennis. Again, whether it's Nori Evans on the men's side, there's a plethora of rising talents on the women's side as well. I don't know if there's a standout, you know, young Brit on the women's side right now, but plenty of bites at the apple. There's a core there to, you know, be relevant and make make runs might be a bit of a stretch. You know what? We'll save the big picture look at British tennis for a different time. You look at some of the other results we saw on the week. Again, there were three other ATP WTA grass court events to go through some of the others, and I'm spending far too long again on Haddad Maya and Bertini, two players we talked about quite frequently last week. I don't want to use all of my material, though, on Own Jabour and Hubi Hercots because I promise you, you know, we're doing a WTA Top 5 Contenders podcast with David Gertler to kick things off for our coverage of the 2022 Wimbledon. Own Jabour has to be in your top five list. You look for Jabour, again, title town in Berlin. She knocks off Alicia Parks, uh, Sasnovich, Coco Goff, Belinda Bencic, Karolina Mukova on her way to the title. It's no slouch. You know, that's no picnic. That is absolutely just a brutal stretch for her. And now you look for Jabour, 46-15 and 15 in her career on grass courts, won the Birmingham title last year, made Wimbledon quarterfinals last year as well. Beach Fiontech at Wimbledon also... It, you know, again, the final was a bit disappointing, particularly with Bencic injuring her ankle and just forced to retire midway through that second set. But through the first set, Jabour was the one dictating on serve. And as we talked about last week, how well-rounded the game of Own Jabour is, just the ability to play the slice, the angles, to take the return on the rise, to dictate behind the first serve, the strength of her first step, the comfort level she seems to show as a mover, again, got... Sort of the best of both worlds, right? Face Coco Goff in the semifinals here on Championship Weekend. Just was able to outpower tennis Goff. You know, uh, I, I thought the plus one game of Own Shabur, just she had more options in her tool belt than Coco Goff did. Both of them able to set things up comfortably behind the first serve. But Shabur, again, just more tricks 
in her bag, whether it was the slices or the drop shots or just the drives down the line, the unexpected on-the-run slices, she was better at disrupting the rhythm of Goff than vice versa and just has a little bit more a little bit more weaponry right now than the young American and then just was too solid for Belinda Bencic in set number one, was able to use her defensive skills to absorb the first blow of Bencic, was able to pressure the Bencic forehand, whether it be with pace or whether it be by going off speed, putting Bencic in uncomfortable positions in the court. Shabor can just hurt you in so many different ways. She'll be a top five contender. Uh, And again, Jabour back to title town. You look for own Jabour now in 2022, 39 overall on the season outside of a bad loss to Magda Lynette at Roland Garros, Daria Gavrilova at Indian Wells. That's it. She has two bad losses on the season, 39 other than that. And, you know, again, you look for her now second title on the year. She's made four total finals this season in, what, 11 total events. And I mentioned those 11 total events she's made now, a grand total of eight different quarterfinals as well. There's a reason Onjabur is number three in the world. There's a reason Onjabur is number two in the points race and has opened up a significant gap right now, 700-plus points between her and third-place Coco Goff. By the way... Five Americans in the top 15, four Americans in the top 11. Shout out American women's tennis, but Onjabur is your clear-cut world number two right now and showed it this weekend, beating Bencic, beating Goff, a good win over Sasnovich in three sets in the quarterfinals as well. Onjabur currently one of just seven players to rank top 20 in both hold and break percentage. She was exceptional. Really hope Belinda Bencic is healthy heading into Wimbledon. And again, I don't want to give away the whole bag. I know I've alluded to this before. She's playing exceptional tennis. Second right now on the WTA Tour in hold percentage. Her strength behind the first serve just matches the power tennis, matches the aggression of, and her ability to play on her terms just keeps her in the ball game against anyone, particularly on this surface. Again, not going to give up all the Benchich material, not going to give away all the golf material. You can listen to more of that in our Wimbledon preview podcast here this week, but they both looked the part of Wimbledon contenders. I think all three of those players, if healthy, no excuse unless they end up in each other's portion of the draw to not make the second week of the tournament. Of course, shout out to Maria Sakari, who has just been really good this year. Not exceptional, not exceptional, but really really good. And you look for her this season, 25-12 and 12 overall on the year. Now, has Sakari won a title this season? No. 0-2 in the two finals she's made. But again, playing, uh, what was that? 12 total events. She's made the quarterfinals in half of them, semifinals in a third of them. You look for her, the 12 losses this season. You know, she, uh, I, I believe over, you know, two of them are to Haddad Maya, who has been arguably the most improved player of the season on the women's side. And, you know, a couple uh, a loss to Sviantec, a couple of losses, excuse me, to Sviantec, losses to Pagulas, Conteves of the world. We, we don't have to do the whole thing, but, you know, what's the signature victory for Maria Sakari this season? I don't know. That's a good question. As you look for Sakari, 5-5 five and five on the season is the signature victory. Her win over Bedosa in three sets in the Indian Wells semifinals probably is, given, uh, given, the season Bedosa was having at that point. But, you know, for Sakari, 
yeah, again, does it feel like she has a signature win in her 25 and 12 resume? Maybe not. And yet, you look for her. She's five and five against top 20 players, uh, you know, this season. And you look for her against the top 10. That's where things get a little bit trickier. One in four overall. I just think Sakari's floor, match in, match out. It's as high as you're going to see on the uh, of any player on the WTA tour. But again, the question for Sakari moving forward. Not necessarily the floor, but the season. Match in, match out. How does she go about dictating and playing on her terms? Again, the first serve win percentage up for the seventh consecutive season, but for the first time in those seven consecutive seasons, the hold percentage has actually dipped beneath what she was at last season. Now, she's still above 7% above her career average, but... That continues to be the question for soccer again. How does she make life easy for herself, point in, point out? Still thought she looked good. She will not be in my top five women's contenders, but she's certainly right around the list. And it just feels like, you know, again, if soccer can get to the second week, you know, be the consistent in what has otherwise been an inconsistent first weeks everywhere, it's a name to keep an eye on, but certainly again, action extraordinarily fun in Berlin. It was a good week of action in uh, at the at 125 WTA uh, 125 K WTA event in Italy as well. Just a quick shout out to 28 year old Ali Venutvank. You look for Ali now uh, 12 and one, excuse me, in this grass court season. Wins a 100 K title, wins a 125 K title. Her only loss seven six in the third in the Netherlands to last year's Wimbledon semifinalist Arena Sabalenka. Now. Does she have the greatest wins during that stretch of time? Absolutely not. But you look now for Van Uthank, a, a solidly efficient. You know, she was, I mentioned she's 12-1 and one during this stretch. She was 8-10 and 10 on the year heading into this grass court season and has regained her rhythm. And, you know, the continental grip that she plays with on the forehand side, the, her willingness to hit the slice forehand, her willingness to take that backhand on the rise, move forward behind it. She just has a game tailor-made to grass court. So, Credit to Ali Van Oontvink, 12-1 overall. Certainly, uh, it's going to be fun to watch her play against Amanda Nisimova this week, but that means she'll play four consecutive weeks, and she's played now five consecutive weeks in total, dating back to the Roland Garros here, heading into Wimbledon. That's a lot of tennis on the body, but guess what? 28 years old, that's when you're in your physical prime, or at least that's what they tell me. So credit to Van Oontvink, again, standing strong here uh, at the 125K in Italy. Last, but certainly not least, and again, I want to do this quickly because I don't want to give away all of my Hubie Hercots material. Uh, but shout out to Hubie Hercots, who just was a little bit better than the rest of the field this weekend in what was an extraordinarily high level of play at the tournament in Hala. Hubie blitzed Daniil Medvedev in the finals, 6 1, 6 4. And you want to say, well, Medvedev's now 0 and 5 in finals since winning the U.S. Open. That's extraordinarily stupid to me if you're saying that causation, winning the U.S. Open, is a correlation to him now losing these five consecutive finals. There is no sort of similarity. Now, if you want to say being up a set and, you know, two sets to love and having those break point chances at the Australian Open, being up two sets to love and a break, I believe, on Rafael Nadal, if you want to say since losing that match, he hasn't been the greatest in finals. I'll listen to your argument. I won't take it seriously, but I'll listen to it. But certainly he, you know, again, kind of pooped an egg out against Hubie Hurkacz, who was just dominant behind the first serve. Made 75% of them, 184% of his first serves, was 12 of 18. 
at the net. 21 winners against nine unforced errors. That, of course, accounts uh, with the nine aces he accumulated as well. Didn't face a break point and just was relentless in keeping Medvedev on the back foot. Now, again, Medvedev, the physicality, that ability to absorb, redirect, and actually play physical tennis on grass courts, that was non-existent in the final after it was healthily existent against RBA in the quarterfinals, Ivashka in the round of 16, even against Oscar Ota, who he did a good job absorbing that first blow of uh, in the semifinal round. But, man, Hubie was just on another level as a server this week. And you look for Hercots, the resume he put together to earn this title, arguably the most impressive non-Grand Slam title we've seen this season. I mean, he beats last year's champion, Umber. In the round of 16. Honestly, a nice win over six foot six Max Cressy, who's just a nightmare to play on this surface in the round of 32 as well. Then six and six over Felix, four, six, seven, six, seven, six over Kyrios, and what was one of the matches of the season, of course, limited by the ceiling of just how good can grass court tennis be, but certainly that was exciting. And, you know, again, one in four over Medvedev without facing a break point. Is that the most impressive non? Grand Slam title. We've seen one this season. If you want to say Alcaraz in Miami just by age, I'll listen to you. If you want to say, you know, again, I, I don't think Fritz Indian Wells can be the right answer just given what we saw, you know, from Rafa in that final. Medvedev, FAA, Kyrgios, Umber, Cressy. Certainly outside of the Masters 1000s, this is the most impressive one uh, and Grand Slams that we've seen. But Man, I mean, you look for Hubi Hurkots now over the last 52 weeks for him on grass courts. Obviously, 10-2 and two overall. His run to the Wimbledon semifinals last year included another victory over Medvedev. Wins over Bublik, Federer as well before getting knocked out in four by Matteo Berrettini. Look for Hurkots overall, 28-11. and 11 here this season. And obviously now adds this title to the mix, but has made deep runs. You know, he's been exceptional. Quarterfinals Monte Carlo, quarterfinals Madrid. Round of 16, Roland Garros. Tough three-set loss to Fucevic to start off his grass court season in Stuttgart, but immediately bounced back. And again, in those five victories he earned last week was broken just three times. That typically gets the job done. Look, with Hubi's ability to move forward, again, much like Marin Cilic, the length he possesses on this surface in particular, and then his athleticism, comfort level as a mover, a lot to like about Hubie Hurkacz heading into Wimbledon. Plenty to like about a couple of others as well. Again, as I mentioned throughout the course of last week, Kyrgios was exceptional. Everything I mentioned for Ali Van Udvink, uh, applies to Oscar Ota as a dark horse to make a second-week run at Wimbledon. It was a really fun week on the ATP and WTA Tours. And look, if you're calling it like you see it, you kind of know who the players are now as we head into the year's third Grand Slam. But as I mentioned at the top of the show, we will have coverage of all things 2022 Wimbledon this week for you at Cracked Rackets, all of those preview podcasts, men's and women's contenders, the dark horses, the Americans to watch, the draw breakdowns. We'll have all of that for you over on our Great Shot podcast feed. Of course, we'll continue to monitor all the action happening on the ATP and WTA Tours this week on this feed as well. Uh, in fact, I think we're going to make tomorrow a two-mini break Tuesday as we have Tennis Point Tuesday. And then, of course, we'll break down all the action happening across the ATP and WTA Tour. Of course, if you're looking for Wimbledon qualifying updates, challenger updates, head on over to our Great Shot podcast feed as well. Damien Kust and Jakob Bobro have you covered, of course, for 
the immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at A.L. Gruskin. A shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Wasta, for the veteran job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. Shout-out, as well, to uh, our friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, for our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say? That's the break. We'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Thank you.